Hi, you're listening to The Retail Perch with Sheikha Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hi there, this is Sheikha Raman, CEO and co-founder of Bird's Eye. We're here to introduce you to our first of the many podcasts in the series from The Retail Perch. I have with me my co-host here, Gary Hawkins. Gary, you want to say hi? Baker, great to be with you today. Gary is CEO of CART and also a strategic advisor to Bird's Eye for many years now. I'll give you a quick introduction. Why do we exist? Why have another podcast? Of course, coming from the retail technology industry and Gary, from his perspective of a long, uh, illustrious career in supermarket retail, the goal really is to inform retailers and entrepreneurs about technology trends, challenges, and opportunities in the supermarket industry, mostly focusing around the areas of customer engagement, big data, and artificial intelligence. I know we see a lot of these words thrown around in a lot of articles and websites. And Gary, I think one of our goals here is to kind of clarify some of these things and identify key opportunities. Absolutely. I think we've got a unique blend of experience here and knowledge to bring to listeners to give them insight, not only into the technology, but as we're seeing across the industry today, it's the implications of that technology for operations, for how retailers, brands go to market, really across everything. I think that's sort of the unique blend that we can bring to this. Fantastic. All right. So what kind of content can you hope to get from here? We'll be speaking from our own experiences. Birdseye has been in business now for close to 10 years. And Gary's been in the industry for much, much longer than that. We hope to bring in some re- retailers as guests on the show. We bring some industry experts to provide different perspectives. We'll cover topics ranging from digital transformation, the future of loyalty, personalization, role of AI, customer engagement, Big question that a lot of retailers have, whether they should build a technology or they should partner with a third-party company, data standards, and some challenges that I think retail technology in general faces. We hope that you guys participate. We encourage feedback, questions from our audience that directs the conversation. So if there are specific topics that you guys are interested in us covering on the show, more than happy to do that. So Gary, what other things that you think might be of interest that you think we should be covering here. It's a lot of ground you just mentioned. And I think the way retailers and really technology, the whole industry really needs to view this as a journey, right? There's no clean beginning. There's no end to this. This space of retail and digital and tech is continuing to evolve. It's actually changing at a faster and faster pace. So I think this is going to be a fascinating discussion as we go along here, not only today, but in future podcasts. And especially as we bring in other retailers for their perspective and other industry people to provide their thoughts on what they see happening. Shaker, before we start digging into even a couple topics here today, maybe a great place to start would be how Bird's Eye came to be. You've got a great story around how Bird's Eye started. I think our listeners would enjoy that. But I guess as most entrepreneurs who have interesting backstories, Bird's Eye has its own interesting one. Several years ago, when my daughter was in elementary school, she came back home one day and asked me to help her with an invention day project in school. And like a good dad, I said, yes, of course, but I didn't have any ideas. So one day we're out in the supermarket with a list from my wife shopping. And as most husbands that I know, I I was lost in the supermarket, couldn't find half the stuff. And so to which my daughter looked at me and said, maybe you should help shoppers find products in the supermarket. That's literally what started the idea. A few months later, I'm sitting at work talking to Frank, who's now my co-founder. And through this idea out of him that 
hey, I think this is a problem that a lot of people have. Maybe we should build something that'll help shoppers locate products in the supermarket. Hence was born bird's eye. Of course, the name bird's eye at that point in time implied giving you a bird's eye view of the store, helping you locate products around the store and so on and so forth. That's kind of how it started. Absolutely no background in retail, Gary. The fact that we plunged headlong into an industry that we had no, no idea about, I think was an adventure of its own. You know, uh, electrical engineer, uh, graduate degree in a field called signal processing. Right out of school, I worked in the genome project, University of Pennsylvania, and then University of Nevada. At that time, it wasn't called artificial intelligence, but we were using neural networks and pattern recognition to help with genetic data and modeling it out. A few years later, I moved to Bell Labs, where I worked in the speech recognition group for collecting data samples. Spent a good time on a Wall Street firm, a Fortune 50 firm in Wall Street, which is where I met most of the people who are currently on the Bird's Eye team. We find ourselves here because I was trying to solve a personal problem. Honestly, I think a lot of entrepreneurs start because they feel that there's an issue that can be improved and they go about fixing it. I completely agree with you. Drill down just a minute on some of your experience, especially that your work around signal processing and so on, because a lot of listeners may not understand the leap from some of that work and some of the work you did on a genome project to what Birdseye is focused on today with AI and machine learning and so on, right? Which is really around pattern recognition. Really strange because looking back now, thinking maybe I chose the right major. <laughs> in very simple terms, essentially what I did in my master's and worked on in the genome project was understanding how to model data, how to extract key patterns, and then build statistical and machine learning models that could identify these patterns in data. Of course, we were working with genetic data, so at that time, I was building models to help identify proteins in a DNA sequence and things like that. It's the same techniques and the same methodologies that now apply today to machine learning and AI. So it's very interesting that the basics of what we learned back in the early 90s is still very much the same today. The only thing that's really changed, Gary, is that the computer chips that we have back in 1990 and the computer chips that we have today, it's a million times faster. So a lot of what we thought would take us days and weeks to do back when I was in grad school and my first couple of jobs, can now be done in a few minutes. It's really what makes this whole field of AI and machine learning exciting is that you're now able to crunch through huge volumes of data in relatively short time and gain the insights to make it practical enough. We're going to spend a lot more time on it as we go forward today and also in future podcasts. Bird's Eye wasn't always focused on what it's doing today around pattern recognition and personalization and so on, looking to solve a personal problem. How do I yes. find products in the grocery store? Yeah. So how did you get from there to where Bird's Eye is today? We start up pivots, right? And you pivot because you realize that you don't have a product market fit. And I think where we started first is that let's help shoppers locate products in the store. We evolved from there to trying to locate the shopper in the store because we figured if we knew where the shopper was in the store, we could give relevant offers based on their location in the store and then generate some in-store traffic analytics. We quickly found out while that was incredibly useful that most retailers that we were talking to simply didn't have the internal resources to leverage and make use of that data in any useful fashion in their operations. I think that's when we realized that retail has a treasure trove of data about shopping habits and shopping behavior. Maybe what we should really do is use our big data platform mine through that data, find insights that can help improve shopper experience from an engagement perspective. 
And I think, Gary, that's a great question because it kind of segues because that's when I got on Google and the internet and started searching for somebody who knew something about supermarket retail and personalization. <laughs> and lo and behold, I guess we found you, Gary, after several months of searching. And I still remember, I don't know if you do, but meeting in a steakhouse down in Scranton, Pennsylvania, I believe, right? Yeah. You have an amazing history in supermarket retail. It seems like you know the world of retail. How did you wind up here? And you know, maybe we, we kind of take the story before we met and then go together from there to where we evolved. Sure. Literally grew up in supermarket retail, my family owning some stores in the upstate New York area, wholesale business. I quite literally grew up bagging groceries. I've been very fortunate to have had a pretty unique career path. Going into the business a few years after college, which I had always expected I would, I remember around that time, Walmart was getting into the grocery business, triggering massive consolidation across the industry, more and more focus on low prices. We were at the time also beginning to compete with Wegmans, who's one of the top retailers in the U.S. And all those things caused me to sit back and say, there's got to be a better way to do this, right? As an independent retailer, we can't play the price game. And we certainly don't have the resources of a Wegmans. There's got to be something we can do to shift the playing field. Around that same time, I began reading about some of the very earliest retail frequent shopper programs that were beginning to pop up in Europe and over in Asia. Studying those, it became clear to me that while the retailers getting into that were doing so to provide electronic coupons rather than paper coupons that they were using in their ads, I made the connection between identifying that customer to their transaction and building that trove of data and just realized almost at a gut level that I'm not sure what I'm going to do with all that data, but having it has got to put me in a better position than not having it. So we launched one of the first loyalty programs in the U.S. supermarket sector, gosh, 27 years ago now, and began to collect all that data. Very quickly began to understand the significant differences in customer shopping behavior, customer economic or financial value. Went on to help lead a lot of early industry learning around customer data and customer intelligence. Quickly segued over into speaking at conferences here in the U.S., other markets around the world. That quickly led to helping other significant retailers, both here in Europe, Asia, South America, put the pieces in place to begin gathering, collecting, and using customer data and how they went to market. As I say, it's been a fascinating ride because from the retail side, moved over to some of the big brands like Procter & Gamble and Unilever calling me helping initially to understand what retailers were doing, but quickly segueing over to helping these big brands understand how they could partner with retailers leveraging all this data to create new value for everyone, including the shopper. And then more and more being pulled over into the world of technology. Before we came together, and again, I'm going back some years now, I actually created the first personalized marketing solution for supermarket retail that we took out into a somewhat scaled proof of concept, and I wound up selling that tech off to another technology company. Interesting uh, background. Yeah. So Gary, as an independent retailer, you don't build a technology solution, right? You leverage existing data platforms. So I was fortunate because of having somewhat unique position in the industry to gain the attention of new startups, new technology coming into the industry, you know, were increasingly reaching out to me, getting, wanting my opinion, in some cases, wanting me to test or trial it in a real retail environment. So in a sense, I was using our store as a very much a laboratory. 
and it was coming across a startup years ago, I'm going back 15 years ago, that uh, tracked me down. These guys have created a black box that did targeting based on relevancy. Now, 15 years ago, that was really cutting edge. I understood what they had built, but it was like these guys had created a Porsche, but there was no road to put it on, right? So I had one of those three o'clock in the morning epiphanies where, hey, here are the other pieces that need to be brought together to actually have a functioning capability and wound up bringing together a development team to create that whole vision. That's fantastic, Gary. I guess the reality is how many retailers had the luxury to think like you, right? And I guess it kind of segues your backstory into the state of retail as build versus buy versus partner. Most retailers that we talk to, if you're not big enough, you probably don't have an IT team internally to innovate and build new solutions or even attract the necessary talent that you need to build and understand some of these things. That's absolutely right. I mean, for many, many years, and this is still true today, you look across regional retailers that have some level of resources, right? May have some IT team. They have traditionally tried to build a lot of their infrastructure or at least key pieces of their infrastructure. The challenge with that today, though, is that things are moving so fast that different areas have become so specialized, it's really challenging for these different regional retailers to get needed skill sets on their teams and to keep pace with what's happening. You know, in my mind, the, the role of the CIO at these regional retailers has and, and needs to continue to evolve towards really focusing on bringing together the right partners that can integrate, that can work well together to further that retailer's mission. I know it's a real challenge that we see across the retail industry and the people that we speak to. And, and I guess part of it is also they're bombarded with so many solutions that come out there. Do you have any thumb rules that you think a retailer should go by when they're thinking about solutions? One of the mistakes that, that we see a lot of retailers make is just almost grabbing at the first thing that walks in the door, right? So I guess I'd preface that by saying innovation new capabilities flooding into this industry are happening at a faster and faster pace. No retailer is built to keep up with that. So there's a, the first challenge is simply knowing what's out there. Most retailers have relied on, prior to a few months ago, going to trade shows, seeing new things there, or simply trusting that their existing partners are going to bring them new capabilities that they should be looking at. Or, you know, they learn about something new from another retailer in their share group or that type of thing. But too often we see retailers just sort of grab the first thing that walks in the door that they think is going to address what they need. And don't take the time to step back and understand what else is out there. More importantly, think about what capabilities in that area they're going to need looking ahead. Right? It's, it's fascinating. I was just talking with a retailer recently about this. The practice has been to look at an area or a capability or operational area within the company, understand what they have today, and then figure out what best in class looks like, and I want that. The trouble is in today's world, things are moving too fast for that. It's that old hockey saying, you want to skate to where the puck is going to be, not where mm -hmm. it is. Retailers really need to look ahead and understand what capabilities they're going to need a year, two years, three years from now, and begin putting that foundation in place.
In fact, Gary, I think in the last couple of conversations we've had with retailers, I think in, in some cases we've seen that retailers are actually creating a new position called a chief innovation officer, which is really focused around understanding how they can innovate internally in terms of processes yep. and maybe partner up with companies that are providing the necessary innovation that can help them grow their business. Absolutely. And I think there's two pieces to that, and, and we've seen this, right? One side of that is simply understanding what the technologies, what the capabilities, what the new innovation is they need to put in place. But the other side of that, a lot of companies miss or, or don't pay attention to is the implication of that. How do they need to change either their culture, processes, the way they do things to fully take advantage of that new capability? A bunch of the podcast that you're going to dedicate to specific problems and maybe bring in some guests to talk and dive in depth into some of the challenges. But on a high level, what do you think are some of the challenges facing supermarket retail? A crazy time right now with the whole coronavirus going on. It's probably highlighted more of these trends and challenges than would have happened otherwise. And it's probably hastening some of these changes coming into the supermarket industry much more than it would have, right? From your perspective, if I'm a retailer driving my truck, what should I be looking out for? It's interesting. I was just working to finish up my latest uh, white paper today. And thinking of this area, the way I was thinking of it was not so much warning signs, but guardrails, right? What are the guardrails retailers can put in place to help guide their decisions looking forward and try to keep them on the path. I think there's a handful of things that retailers should have up on the wall to help guide decisions, right? First couple of those are one, it's all about big data today, right? Big data is only getting bigger by the day. Whatever capabilities you need to put in place, they need to be architected to be able to handle a growing amount of data from a growing amount of sources. Sort of in lockstep with that, is the growing need for everything in real time. The days of batch processing are quickly going away. Shoppers, consumers increasingly expect contextual relevancy in your interactions with them. That demands real-time capability. Certainly along with that contextual relevancy is a need for really sophisticated personalization. And I'll go a step further, it's all about buzzwords today. It's really strategic personalization that helps drive that contextual relevancy, right? It's not just putting their name on that email, it's helping construct that messaging, be it a mix of offers, other information content, that's gonna help grow the lifetime value of that customer over time. I think the last thing I'd mention that feeds all of this and ties all this is the importance of attributes. I can't tell you the number of retail executives I've talked with, including from some very large companies that really don't understand the role of attributes at both a shopper level and a product level and how those attributes help power up all that personalization and relevancy and so on that they increasingly need in their organizations. I think the other challenge that I see from an operational perspective is I see that a lot of retailers are just not ready from a data perspective. I find that obviously the focused our business in the past. A simple example is abbreviated product descriptions, obviously adapted to the limitations of the point of sale system to have only so many bytes on the receipt. As a result, they've kind of corrupted their own data willingly, if you yeah. will. And so it makes it very difficult when you don't have clean data to do any of this personalization because you don't have access to good information. Right. And I think the first thing that you learn or anything to do with big data or insights or AI and machine learning is the quality 
is directly dependent on the quality of the data, right? The quality yeah. of your predictions and your understanding. I think along with the quality is the fact that a lot of these retailers also have data held in disparate systems where it's in different silos that are preventing them from making full use of that today. A couple of years ago, I went to any trade show uh, on supermarket grocery. One thing that you heard across the board was e-commerce. Right? It seemed like the big trend in the industry and yeah. everything was about e-commerce. And obviously with the coronavirus, it's only highlighted the need for a retailer to have some kind of pickup and delivery capability. Do you think that's kind of like the end all of grocery? Do you see a future for in-store? What do you think are trends? Where do you see grocery going five years from now? That's a great question. And I wish I had that crystal ball. What we're seeing in the marketplace today, and then I'll speak to what I think is coming is many retailers have seen their online grocery sales just explode over the last several months of the COVID crisis. A lot of retailers that I talked to that sort of peaked, came off a little bit and has plateaued now. But I think we're going to be seeing that begin to grow again. And a lot of retailers are planning for that. But that being said, even if online or e-commerce gets to somewhere around better part of 10%, which it is today at a lot of retailers, and grows to 20 or even 25%, it still leaves 75 or 80% of the business being done in the stores. But I think we are going to see stores evolve. We're seeing a growing amount of automation coming into the stores and hearing different retailers already speaking about new hybrid store formats, where maybe the front half of the store, which is open to shoppers, is focused around a lot of fresh foods, the things people still like to pick out for themselves. The back half of the store in the back room now is a automated fulfillment center that is fulfilling all the packaged goods that that shopper has ordered on their way in the door, ordered for they headed to the store on their phone, and they come in and shop for the fresh foods, pick up their packaged stuff on the way out the door. Well, you know, if I was in that store, maybe if I go back to the future, maybe I wouldn't get lost as much as I did. <laughs> That's fantastic. In terms of technology, you have people who are smaller chains, your five and 10 store chains, and you have your regionals, which are probably larger, and then you have your national chains, right? Yeah. Uh, where do you see the danger in terms of who's at risk here the most, adapting to some of these trends? And what do they need to do so, to so make sure that they, they have a future? I think there's some level of risk for everybody today from the one store operator up to the national player. Things are moving so fast that there's new capabilities coming into the market every day. I don't think anyone is totally safe here. But obviously, as they have through history, resources count. The big national players or the big, big regional players that have resources are certainly in a stronger position to devote people to trying to understand what's going to be needed to look into the future, to test and trial new capabilities, realizing that not everything is going to work as planned, so that fail fast mentality. The need to make the right decisions increases as you go down in scale, I think. That one store or 10 store operator, even the 100 store operator, does not have endless resources. They need to try to make the right picks. Quite honestly, life is becoming more challenging for retailers of that size because you know, historically, supermarket retailers have been referred to as fast followers. They would let someone else in the industry blaze the path around some new system or technology or capability. And then once it was proven, others would follow. And historically, that approach would work because historically, supermarket business was a pretty slow-moving industry. 
In today's world, being a follower actually, in my mind, increases the risk profile, does not reduce it. But I think there's an ever greater need for the independent and even mid-market retailers to really do their homework, understand what's happening in the industry, understand technology trends as best they can, and really begin to think strategically about what pieces they need to put in place to, to survive. Birdseye being a startup in this space itself, I think there is a strong need for a bigger startup culture. I think there's lots of interesting problems to solve in supermarket retail. We're solving a few, but I think there's plenty of space for many innovative entrepreneurs to come in and create new solutions that we think we can improve the entire shopping experience as well as the retailer's handle on data. Would you agree, Gary? You think yeah. it's, it's certainly so, not a saturated field by any means. So completely agree with that. I think the call out I would make there is that, yeah, there's plenty of opportunity for startups to bring new innovative capabilities and solutions into the market around everything. This is a massive industry that touches the 300 plus million people in this country daily. The benefit a bird's eye has is not only playing in that world, but bringing some pretty unique knowledge and experience that you, Volker, who's chief architect, Frank, CIO, bring to the table here. That's what's uncommon about Birdseye. Thanks for that. I did want to make a call out to any entrepreneurs out there who's, who's thinking about solving problems in supermarket retail and tell you that there's plenty of opportunity. I think that it's a great industry to be in because I think it impacts people, like you said, on a daily basis. And I think anything we can do to push the and evolve the shopping experience and the retail experience is going to benefit everybody. And I think there's just plenty of space. Had a great conversation. And I think the goal here in the first one is really to get our audience to know who we are, where we come from. We're going to have plenty of interesting conversations. And this was just to kind of give you a little teaser of the type of conversations that we'll have. We'll have some interesting guests on the show as well. So I hope you guys stay tuned in. Keep looking out for our podcast. Gary, any closing thoughts? I think as you just mentioned, Shaker, it would be great if listeners and our audience, you know, wants to send in questions or suggestions of topics they'd like to hear us address. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gary. We'll see you guys back next week at the Retail Perch. All right. Talk soon. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.